I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to Psalm 57 this morning. I'm already prepared. I've already got the, uh, the handkerchief out, the glass of water ready. So you bear with me this morning. But I am excited about bringing the message today here from Psalm 57. And we're going to be at another place in your Bible if you want to uh, prepare. It'll be over in, uh, surprise, surprise, 1 Samuel. Boy, I have lived in 1 Samuel for about, I don't know, two, three months now. And I'm still there. And uh, I guess I've at least read it three times through. And, and I'm not hurrying. I'm just reading it and trying to soak it in. And that's by the Lord's leading. And I just keep getting some things that are helping me to help you. And uh, I want to preach a message this morning, which I have already been preaching in segments over the last three weeks or so. Uh, I have shared some of these thoughts at Monday Night Prayer a little while back. I have preached some of these thoughts on the radio. And a couple of weeks ago, I shared some of these thoughts with our men before we left to go to Mount Airy on that day trip. And so I have been preaching on this for, in, in pieces and knew all along that I wasn't done with it. And, and uh, as the weekend drew nigh, I just knew in my heart that it was time to come back and see if the Lord would help me to bring it all together and bring this message to you this morning. And uh, I just hadn't been able to get away from it, and I believe it was because it was needed today. Every day, every day of your life and mine, from the time you wake up on through the day, you're going to find that your heart is fixed on something. It is. Now, the psalmist says in Psalm 57, let's begin reading in verse number 1, Be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee. Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. I will cry unto God most high, unto God that performeth all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me from the reproach of him that would swallow me up. Selah. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. My soul is among lions, and I lie even among them that are set on fire. Even the sons of men whose teeth are Spears and arrows in their tongue, a sharp sword. Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have digged a pit before me into the midst whereof they are fallen themselves. Selah. Do you see the trouble that David is in as he writes this? The trouble that he's in in the world. The trouble that he's in with the problems of his life. But verse 7 is our text this morning. My heart is fixed, O God. My heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. Now, you read this too quickly and you'll miss something. You'll miss the transition that happens between verse 6 and verse 7. Verse 6, he's declaring the struggle. He's declaring the battle. He's declaring the ups and downs. The, I want God, but man, I got a lot of problems. The God is good, but boy, the world is tough. Life is hard. But in verse number 7, there's a transition. He says, my heart is fixed. He's got a fixed heart. Boy, I'll tell you this morning, I want my heart to not only be fixed, but I want it to stay fixed. Fixed how? Fixed on God. I said, when you wake up every day, you're going to find this to be true. Your heart is fixed on something. And I believe it's going to be fixed on one of three things. It's either going to be fixed on the world, you say, what do you mean about that, preacher? I mean, you're either going to get up every day and you're immediately turning your attention to the world. It's pleasures. It's pursuits. 
You know, you're focused on your job. You're focused on entertainment. You're focused on politics, whatever it is. But you're focused on the world. And that's immediately where you go when you wake up in the morning until you lay your head down at night. Or you may give God a courtesy nod somewhere along the way. But your heart is fixed on the world. But I'll tell you what that'll do. That'll distract you. That'll distract you from God's perfect will in your life. So you're either fixed on the world. Or secondly, I find that we are going to be fixed on our trouble. Our trouble. A lot of people get up every day and the first thing on their mind is, man, can't believe i got to deal with this again today. Oh, I can't believe all the problems I've got in my life. And we focus on the problems and we focus on the pains. We focus on the trouble. Hey, I've got sickness. Amen. There's people, though, that they're dealing with real sickness. And then there's people that, you know, hey, my car's broke down. i got no money. Uh, I, I'm in an argument with so-and-so. And, 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 and so they're focused on their troubles from the time they get up to the time they lay down. And I'll tell you what fixing on your troubles will do. It'll discourage your heart. Not only will the world distract you, but your troubles can discourage you. And you start feeling like, man, there's no hope. There's no good. There's no reason to keep going on. You can be distracted by your troubles. I believe everybody here, when you wake up in the morning, your heart's either fixed on the world, your heart's fixed on your trouble, or number three, your heart will be fixed on God. Now that's where our heart ought to be fixed. And we fix our heart on God, I tell you, friend, we focus on His praise, His purposes. We think about the grace of God and the goodness of God and the glory of God. This will deliver our heart. It'll deliver our heart from the world that wants to ensnare it and the problems that want to bring our heart down. We need to fix our heart on God. Psalm 34 and verse 4, David said, I sought the Lord and He heard me and delivered me from all my fears. I'm going to tell you this morning, you've got a purpose in your heart right now that you're going to seek the Lord and focus on Him. And when the alarm goes off in the morning, you're going to roll out of bed and find a place to meet with God before you meet with anybody else. Praise God, you ought to read His Word before you read anything on your phone. Hey, you ought to listen to His voice before you listen to any of the newscasters. You need to fix your heart on God this morning and you'll be delivered amen he'll deliver you from your fears he'll deliver you from your doubts he'll deliver you from your struggles this morning if you'll fix your heart on God now David was living in a tough time I'm talking about not only for him personally but well that was a tough time period I mean people fighting everywhere just war going on all around. It was a tough time. The world of his day was still offering temptations uh, to a man after God's own heart. He faced not only the praise of the women that were singing his name loud, amen, but he faced the glory of men who shouted his name as the great conqueror of Goliath. And David had to face the temptations of pride, uh, sexual immorality, power, all of those temptations that would lure and pull at his, at his young heart that would try to bring him and distract him from the things of God. But in the context of this particular psalm, it doesn't seem to be the world he's fixed on so much as it is the troubles that he's had. In other words, David's not really so much dealing with the temptations in this psalm. He's not so much dealing with the lure of the world in this psalm. But he's dealing with the problems of life, the troubles. You see, in verse number 1, he said, I'll make my shadow, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. In verse number 4, my soul is among lions. Their teeth are spears and arrows. Their tongue is sharp sword. Verse 6, they prepared a net for my steps. My soul's bowed down 
David's got troubles in his life. David had troubles by the score, as they say. He was living out in the wild, in the wilderness right now because he was being hunted by the king, uh, the very king he had pledged to serve with his entire life. Saul wanted him dead. The Philistines wanted him dead. He'd left behind a wife. He'd left behind his best friend, Jonathan. And when you know the background of this psalm and the things that happened leading up to it, you can understand why this man's heart just might be broken during this time. Oh, I'm going to tell you something. We love to rejoice, don't we? Thank God for victory. And it's good to see the victory come. But with every victory, there means, there mean, that means there must have been some battle. And David's in the battle here. And the battle is inside of him. The struggle is inside of him. There are people sitting here this morning in this sanctuary. You have a battle going on inside of you right now. There's a struggle inside of you. You want to do right. You want to walk with God. But it could be the Lord of the world that keeps pulling you away and you find yourself failing and trapped in that sin. Or it could be the problems of your life that you can't seem to get out from under. I mean, once you solve one problem, it seems like two more come. And you want to do right. And you want to rejoice. And you want to be faithful. But it just won't stop. David was there. He had a, a, a mess of trouble going on in his life. Yet somehow in verse 7 he declares, My heart is fixed. My heart's fixed. Now what happened? How did he get there? I'm asking, friends, have you ever been in a place where you were so discouraged, so disheartened, so ashamed, so full of regret, so afraid, just to put it simple, your heart's broke. And you might look up, and you might look around and think to yourself, what a mess I found myself in. How in the world did I get here? You may have job troubles. You may have made mistakes in your marriage. You may have blown it with your children. Hey, you may have blown it with your parents. You may be facing financial ruin. You may be facing a broken relationship this morning. You may be facing trouble coming your way that you have no control over. But it's big and it's scary. It's a dark and a very stormy looking mountain. Or maybe for you, you look at it and you say, boy, it's more like a dark and a dreary valley. And your heart is overwhelmed in this thing that you're facing. The trouble. Right now, sitting here this morning in this place, we got folks that are glued to cable news to see what's going to happen next. And folks can't understand why you're so grumpy and negative all the time. We got folks who can't quit thinking about their favorite team long enough to focus on church this morning, focus on the Lord. We got folks who aren't giving to missions, but they're saving right now to buy the next Apple product, the next I this or I that. They can't wait for the next Marvel movie to come out. Hallelujah! Honestly, I was sitting at a basketball game, Sadie's basketball game the other night. And I was sitting beside a lady, and, and she might, look, I, I don't know anything about the lady. But I'm going to tell you something, she, she did everything but cuss the refs, called them out. I mean, I mean, she was loud. I mean, she was, I mean, her heart was in it. And I don't know, she might be that way on the things of God too, but I was sitting there thinking, boy, if people in the church were as, enthused and energized and interested in serving God as people at a basketball game are, we'd turn this world around. I sit in a basketball game and I never make a sound. Now if, it's, if there's dumb stuff going on, I look for whoever's with me to lean over and say, what in the world are they doing? I don't ever shout, don't ever yell, don't ever act a fool at the game. 
But I tell you, I don't mind coming to church and saying amen. Sometimes I just can't help it, amen? Ah, <laughs> oh, listen, if you're not careful, you'll let, the, let your heart get fixed on the world and it'll distract you from God's purpose and plan. I say right now here in this place, we have folks that are fighting cancer. You're fighting a terrible disease. We've got folks that are facing some financial ruin if something doesn't happen. We've got folks facing surgery in the near future. Folks facing uncertainty about their job future. Folks wondering if they'll ever find that right person in their life and be happy. If you're not careful, you'll let your heart get fixed on the trouble. And that's discouraging you from following the Lord. How do we, like David, get to the place where our heart is fixed on not the world and not our troubles, but fixed to where we wake up every morning and we're immediately drawn to our place with God. How do we get our heart fixed on the Lord? Well, to find that answer, you have to go back to the occasion which prompted David to write this psalm. Before we go there, though, I want to tell you, I want to illustrate the meaning of this phrase, my heart is fixed. That word fixed means to be set, to be established, to be directed. You see, you're fixed on something. There's the world. There's my trouble. There's the Lord. Your heart is set, established, directed, fixed on something. When I was a boy, and some of y'all might still have these, we had an antenna up on the roof of the house. Now that's getting to be an antique these days. But you know, we had that antenna on the roof of the house, and down inside the house, we had that little box that sat on the TV. Y'all, how many of you know what I'm talking about? Everybody 40 and over. And that little box was a little antenna rotor box. Had a big old knob on it about that big, and you'd turn that antenna rotor box, and you'd hear, and all the while, the antenna on the roof is changing direction based on where you turn that knob. And that knob was, was there so that when you turned the television on back in the day, you know, uh, if you were on uh, uh, Channel 3 and had to change to Channel 9, you might change to Channel 9, and Channel 3 might have looked great, but Channel 9 looks like a blizzard. So you got to turn the rotor. you got to get the antenna pointed from Charlotte back over to Winston or wherever so you can get the right signal to come through. That's what those boxes were. And then when you got that thing pointed in the right direction, everything become clear. Now when you first start using that box, you're guessing to yourself, now, which way do I got to turn this thing to get the right signal? I mean, you know, after a little trial and error, it kinda, you kind of get it where channel three comes in right here. And, and so you mark the box, like maybe three, you know. And then you get this one right and it's, Nine, you know, because it's seven o'clock. It's time to watch Wheel of Fortune and somebody left it on channel 45 and I need to get it back on channel three or whatever, you know. Like that rotator box, how we would mark that exact spot to set it right for the right signal. We need to know how to set our heart in a certain place, in a certain direction. So that signal's coming in every day of our lives, loud, and clear. That's what we've got to do. Because whatever, wherever you set your heart, your signal, you're going to pick up and you're going to operate under that influence. You see, your mind and, and your attitude, it's like that antenna on the roof. It's the thing that's pointed and receiving. Your heart's like that little box. And see, right there in my heart, I've got to fix it. 
I've got to direct it. I've got to establish it toward a certain way so that every day the antenna's picking up the right signals. My heart is fixed. David tells us, got to get our heart fixed. Now we're going to learn some good things right here in Psalm 57. But first, we need to get the context of that psalm real quickly this morning. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 21. 1 Samuel chapter 21. I told you David is in trouble. David's in trouble. And here we find him in 1 Samuel chapter 21. The Bible says, Then came David to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech was afraid at the meeting of David, and said unto him, Why art thou alone, and no man with thee? Something's fishy going on here. And David said unto Ahimelech the priest, The king hath commanded me a business, and hath said unto me, Let no man know anything of the business whereabout I send thee, and what I have commanded thee, and I have appointed my servants to such and such a place. Now, you go back to chapter 20, and you know, if you read chapter 20, that David is lying. He's not on the king's business. David has fled from the king. David is on the run. We're going to find out uh, later on in this chapter, it actually literally tells us David was afraid. He was running in fear. And, and in chapter 20, Jonathan had come to David with a final word to him and said, Hey, David, look, it's done. My dad, he, he said in his heart, he wants you dead. He's going to kill you. There's no place for you here. The best thing for you to do is run away. And so David's running. He's running for his life. And in the midst of his trouble, what happens is his heart loses focus. That ever happened to you? His heart loses focus in the trouble. Here's a young man who at one time could play so beautifully. He's known as the sweet psalmist of Israel. I mean, he could bring the Spirit of God into a place by his musical ability. Here's a man that just some time before had stood on the battlefield where nobody else would stand and had defeated Goliath in the name of God. Now, look at where he's at. Verse number 10 of this 1 Samuel 21. And David arose and fled that day for fear of Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. See what's happened to David? He's operating in fear rather than faith. And because of that, he defects to the enemy. Can I insert something right here that didn't happen overnight? You ever known anyone who got in trouble? And rather than turning to God for help, they fled. They fled from God. They fled from the church. They fled from God's people. And they fled where? To the world. To the enemy. Hey, I'll tell you this morning, you better watch out. You better be careful. You let your heart stay fixed on the trouble of your life and you don't know where you might end up. And it's happened to the best. Verse 11, The servants of Achish said unto him, Is not this David the king of the land? Now, he's down here in the land of the Philistines now. He's down here in the king's court now. Remember, this is the king that up until now had a price on David's head and would have paid a pretty penny if someone would have brought David's carcass to him. Because they hated David. He had killed their champion. The servants of Achish said unto him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing one to another of him in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands? And David laid up these words in his heart and was sore afraid of Achish, the king of Gath, still in fear. 
You know, David, I don't know how many men were in the room that day, but I'm telling you something. When David was right with God and had the power of God on his life, he could have took out every one of them rascals. He took out Goliath. Now fear dominates his heart. You see, trouble will do that to you. Trouble in your family. Trouble in your relationships. Trouble in your finances. And sometimes all that kind of piles up into one big, ugly mess of trouble. And you lose your focus on God and you start panicking. And you run to the world for a help here and you run over there to get help there. And all of a sudden you wake up one day and say, how did I get here? Sounds like the prodigal son, doesn't it? And that's where David is. He goes, now watch this. And he, verse 13, and he changed his behavior before them and feigned himself mad in their hands and scrabbled on the doors of the gate and let his spittle fall down upon his beard. Not only is he running in fear, but now he's playing the fool. Not only is he defected to the enemy, but watch this. He's even despised by the enemy. Then said Achish unto his servants, Lo, ye see the man is mad. Wherefore then have you brought him to me? Have I need of madmen that ye have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? Every one of them sitting there scratching their head saying, we were, we were just in the mission briefing yesterday morning and the king reiterated, I want David. Number one priority, get me David. Bring me David's head. I want David. I want his scalp. I want him here. Bring his body to me. Better yet, bring him alive and I'll kill him. And now he doesn't want anything to do with him. Why? David's playing the fool. He's got so low that the king that wanted him dead just 24 hours ago looks at him and says, how pathetic. He ain't even worth killing. Just get him out of here. This is David. A man after God's own heart. A man who loved God. A man who led God's people. A man who was anointed to be king. Now I'm going to tell you something, friends. You have no idea how low the trouble can take you when you fix your heart on your problems and you take it off of God. We all know of good men and women that once were in the church serving God, doing well, making an impact, and then all of a sudden they're gone. But it wasn't all of a sudden. Everybody's got a, their own story of how it happens. For some, it was started with a little boogie-woogie here. A little immorality there. Some of it even, get, even gets cloaked as Christian boogie-woogie, you know? It builds, builds, builds. And you wake up one day in a mess asking, how did I get here? You better be mindful of what your heart is fixed on, friends. But even in all this mess David is in, praise the Lord for His grace. Because God's going to use this trouble. Brother Buddy, God is the Redeemer. And not only does He redeem us from our lost condition in sin, but you'll see in David's life that God redeems even bad decisions that we make as believers. And He can take the mess we've made <laughs> and turn it around and do something marvelous with it. 
had that conversation with two people this week. God can redeem the mess. Isaiah 48, verse 16 and 17 says, Come ye near unto me. Hear ye this. God speaking. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning. From the time that it was, there am I. And now the Lord God and His Spirit hath sent me. Thus saith the Lord thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord thy God which teacheth thee to profit, which leadeth thee by the way that thou shouldest go. He is the Redeemer this morning of His people. If you belong to Him this morning, I'm telling you now, God has a way to bring you out of the mess that you're in and redeem your heart and redeem your mind and redeem those decisions you've made and to bring you back into the will of God today. He can do that this morning. Thank the Lord He's not only the Redeemer of the sinner, of the lost, but He's the Redeemer of His people. And as David begins this flight of fear in 1 Samuel 21, boy, His Redeemer's already at work. Watch this, watch this. I'm going to go quickly now. There are three things David comes into contact with here that's going to serve to remind him of who God is and where God wants him to be. Three things that will help David get his heart fixed back on the Lord. Are you ready? And I say to it, glory, glory, glory. Wait till you see this. I want to tell you this morning, there's nothing complicated about it. Hey, there's nothing new about it. It's not a 10-step program to get you from here to there. It's not a self-help seminar. But there's three things right here that David sought out for the journey that God used to get his heart back right with God. Here they are. Number one, I want you to see he went to the house of God. A man in trouble. A man who wasn't where he ought to be. A man whose heart wasn't focused on the Lord as it should be. But praise God, by the grace of God, he found himself at the house of God that day. The Bible says in verse 1, he came to Nob. You know who Nob was? That was the city of the priest. And there was the home of the high priest. And in that city was the tabernacle. And you say, well, did David go to the tabernacle? He sure did. Because here in a little bit, they talk about the hallowed bread that's inside of there. He comes to see the priest. He comes to the house of God. He comes to inquire at the church. And I'm going to tell you when the troubles are overwhelming you and the world's pulling at you, there's one place you need to go, friend. Find yourself back at the house of God, inquiring in the temple, asking God for some help in your life. He had it ingrained in his heart. He came to church. Thank God for a holy place to come. You want to know that's why I'm bulldog protective and growing more so about keeping this place sacred. Oh God, there needs to be a place in this world today where God's people can come and not have to deal with worldliness, not have to deal with carnality, not have to, I mean, praise God, there ought to be a place where men can come and not have to wonder about or worry about how a woman's going to be dressed trying to lure their eyes and mess up their heart. There ought to be a place we can come where we don't have to listen to everybody talking about what Tom, Dick, and Harry are saying on Fox News and CNN. I'll tell you this morning, I know we got to care about what's happening in the world, but I want a place to come. I don't have to listen to it. 
We ought to have a place we can come. We don't have to listen to the world's music. Listen to the world's talk. Listen to the world's boogie-woogie. I'm telling you, thank God for the house of God where we can come and inquire and get some help in a holy place. A holy place. That's why we ought to dress like it's a sacred place. That's why we ought to behave like it's a sacred place. That's why we ought to root out the boogie-woogie music. Some of you like it, I know. Search your heart. I'm going to go ahead and help it. Because I know. Because I hear it. Somebody's thinking right now, or they will. Well, preacher, I just don't have that conviction. Now, I'm going to help you with that. Preacher, I just don't feel that conviction in my heart. Your lack of conviction does not change God's Word. The problem is not God's Word. The problem is your lack of conviction. And if you don't have it, by all that is holy, come beg God for it. Because look, we didn't get here last place with convictions and standards and believing God's right and the Bible's true. We didn't show up last. Praise God, you and your carnality are off sorts. You got here out of place. This book has not changed. It never will. Well, do you realize that every now and then, it's rare, but every now and then, even in our day, there are people that still want to come to this place and be able to spend time before the Lord, pray. I'm not talking about on Sunday. I'm not talking about on Wednesday. There's people that want to just come here from time to time and sit in the sanctuary and inquire of the Lord, like Hannah did when she was praying for a child. And we need to make sure they've got a place that's holy they can come to. Now, I've run that rabbit. Yes, I jumped the rabbit so I could run him, but I want to come back to David. You know he's in trouble. You know he's not altogether right. He's lying to the preacher. He's scared. He's out of sorts. But he came to the right place. And even though he's messed up, he's going to get some help here at the church house. Because everything else David got that day, he got because he came to the house of God first. And I'm going to tell you this morning, stay in church. Stay in the house of God. Where else are you going to find what you can find right here? You won't find it anywhere else. Stay in the house of God. Let me give you the second thing. So we come to the house of God to inquire. Praise God, that's a good move. Let me tell you the second thing you got. He came to get fed with holy bread. See what happens in verse 3. Now therefore, what is under thine hand? Give me five loaves of bread in mine hand, or what there is present. Now he came and David's hungry and those few men that are with him. Uh, by the way, those few men, they weren't even recognized by the priest in verse 1. He said, why are you alone? You know why? Because those few men that were with David, they were not men of nobility. They were not courtiers of the king. They were not ranking army officials. He just had a few servants with him. That's all David had. That's worth noting because God's going to do something with that too before too, too long. David said, give me five loaves. And if you don't have five, give me whatever you got. We're hungry. <laughs> we know there's a danger in this. Now, I'm glad he's at the church house, but listen to me. When your heart's fixed on trouble, sometimes you're just willing to eat whatever you can find. Now that's dangerous. That's dangerous. Because I'm going to tell you something. The world and the devil have their wares out there and they are enticing and they are tasty and they are... Whew, smell that? 
Oh. That ain't the house of God. Oh, my, I know, but smell that. Mmm. You know what would do us good? Go to church? No, 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 no. No, church is good, but you know what would do us good? We need to get away. We need to go out and fish. Ah, we need to go to here, there. We, don't you think we should get to church? No, 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 no. Don't you smell that? Don't you hear that? That'll help us. Let's go to Dollywood. A little Dollywood to soothe the soul. You get in trouble, you get your focus wrong, you'll start be willing to eat anything you can find. It's kind of like that prodigal son. You may find yourself one day licking your lips over the hog trough of the world. Saying, boy, if I'd, them pigs would just move over long enough to let me shoulder in amongst them, I could get a little something to eat. That's a bad place to be. But I'll tell you about David this morning. Thank God he wasn't sitting on a bar stool where he could get wasted. <laughs> he wasn't sitting belly up to the buffet where he could work on his figure, amen? Man, he wasn't sitting at the movie house where he could hide for a couple hours uh, from his troubles and feast his flesh uh, on the things they were pumping out. Uh, but thank God he was at the house of God and he came hungry and he said to the preacher, give me some bread. And the preacher said, well, I'll tell you one thing. We ain't got any common bread around here. <laughs> well, I'm glad you can go to a church where they ain't got common bread. Amen. I tell you, you can find common bread anywhere, but the preacher, the preacher said, I tell you what we do have, we have some holy bread, and if you've kept yourself right, and if you're pure, and if your heart's ready, I'll give you some of that. You know what that sacred hallowed bread was? The priest talks about it later on, that he gives him the show bread. That was the bread that had been baked and set upon the altar before the Lord. That was an offering unto God. Well, I'll tell you this, any preacher worth his salt better have given it to God before he gives it to the people, Amen. But he said, David, I give you this. You won't find common bread here, but you can have some of this good bread. You can have some sacred bread. You can have some holy bread. Because he'd come to the house of God. And friends, this ain't the movie house. This ain't the liquor house. This ain't the dope house. This ain't the soap opera house. This ain't the Dr. Phil house. This ain't the Visa shopping spree house. This ain't Cabela's outdoor house. Praise God, this is the house of God. And when you come here, you're going to get the word of God. And that's the only thing that will fix your heart on the Lord. Sacred bread. It might not be as spicy as the world's bread. It may not be as common as the world's bread. But when you get a hold of God's bread, oh, you'll find strength. And you'll find a satisfaction you won't get anywhere else. And David said over in Psalm 78 when he was reflecting back on Israel in the wilderness, Though he had commanded the clouds from above and opened the doors of heaven and had rained down manna upon them to eat and had given them, listen, the corn of heaven. Man did eat angels' food. He sent them meat to, to the full. Jesus said in John chapter 6, I am that bread. I'm the bread of life. And you take and eat of me, you'll never be hungry. I'm glad we got the bread of life in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. And that's what you need to get when you come to the house of God. Nothing else. He's the living word made flesh. But you know what, friends? This is the living word written down for us right here. We've got God's bread this morning. The old prophet Jeremiah knew it. He was so discouraged by the worldliness, the lack of spiritual life in God's people, troubled over the persecution he had faced. But he knew where the bread was. 
Jeremiah 15, 16, thy words were found, and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. So he came to the house of God. He inquired at the house of God. He ate. He got something to eat at the house of God. But I'll tell you this last thing. When he came to the house of God, he asked for a weapon to fight with. He got equipped for the battle that day. Look at verse number 8. And David said unto Ahimelech, And is there not here under thine hand spear or sword? For I have neither brought my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. And the priest said, The sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom thou slewest in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If thou wilt take that, take it, for there is no other save that here. And David said, There is none like that. Give it me. I always read that and I think, that sword that David picked up should have pierced his heart right there. Right there, David should have dropped on his knees and said, God, I'm wrong. Why am I running? Why am I hiding? Why am I not trusting you? Why am I fleeing to the world? Why am I letting my troubles overwhelm me? Here's the sword I took off of the Goliath uh, whom you gave me victory over. And God, like you gave me victory over the lion and victory over the bear and victory over Goliath, you'll give me victory again. He didn't do that that day, but he was still getting some help. The old priest said, here, take this, son. <laughs> now, I believe the priest. There probably wasn't another sword around there, but I have to believe old Ahimelech in his mind was thinking, man, this is our king and he's running, but maybe this right here will help him. And the old priest gave him some help when he got to the house of God. You know, I think about that sword and what it symbolizes. It was a reminder it was a reminder. See, that sword is a picture of our testimony. You come to the house of God, and you're discouraged, you're down, you're overwhelmed with problems, trouble, the world's beating you up, and the choir gets up and sings, I am redeemed. The whole choir together draws the sword <laughs> and waves it. Some old saint of God comes by you and says, boy, I tell you what, God's been good to me this week. Hallelujah. <laughs> And you know, the first time you hear that, you might say, just leave me alone, shut up, I ain't going to hear that. You hang around about 20 or 30 minutes. Let the choir sing. Let the fellowship happen. Let the preacher draw a sword and start waving it around. And you may find yourself feeling a little revival going on. So you come to the house of God, somebody begins to testify. And that sword was a reminder of victory in David's life. And David's thinking, hey, God has been good to me. God has blessed me. God has delivered me. God has been there for me. I know it looks bad, but it's looked bad before. And God never failed. And he's not going to fail me now. Testimony. Victory. The sword was a testimony of God's redeeming power. I just want to tell this real quickly. I won't even read the, the text, but 1 Samuel 17. David steps out there on that battlefield and sees Goliath. And what does he say? He says, you come to me with a spear and a shield and a sword. But I come to you in the name of the Lord. And a few verses later, the Bible says David is standing over a dead Goliath. Who, by the way, David had said back there, I come to you in the name of the Lord. And he said, this day I'm going to take your head off. He didn't have a sword. How's that little old boy going to take that giant's head off? And he's standing there over a dead Goliath and says, well, man, 
Oh, Goliath never even got it out of the scabbard. <laughs> Probably like this, you know, David's right here. He wants to put one foot on Goliath. You know how big Goliath was? <sighs> huh. He grabs that sword of Goliath. And with one swing, what? You know what God done? God put a sword where there was no sword. God took a sword that belonged to the devil. Mm. Put it in the hand of a man of God. Gave it to his own. What once belonged to the devil <laughs> now belongs to God. David got that sword in his hand that day. And I believe he thanked the priest. And he grabbed his men and he took off. Now, I'm done. I don't even have time to tell you the rest of Psalm 57, but I want to tell you what happened. In 1 Samuel 22, it tells us that David goes to the cave of Adullam. He leaves the priest, leaves the tabernacle, and he goes to this cave. And David is still defeated. He's still discouraged. He's still distraught. But he's, he's in the church. And he's sitting there in that cave that day. And I believe David was sitting there in that cave and he's reflecting back on being down at the church house. Boy, that was good. Maybe he's still eating a little bit of that bread. And I picture him with that sword, holding it by the hilt, maybe twirling it, looking. And all of a sudden, he says, I've been a fool. What a fool I have been. Look what God has given me. Look what God has done for me. And you know what happened in the cave of Adullam? David had revival. And you know where Psalm 57 came from? Go back and look at it. Look at the title. To the chief musician, Al-Tashith. That phrase Al-Tashith means destroy it not. That means this writing right here is forever. Keep a copy of this. You're going to need it. Mictim of David. Mictim means carved in stone. And what does it say? When he fled from Saul in the cave. I believe somewhere over in Palestine today, if you could find the spot, find the exact place, you might be able to walk into that cave and find somewhere on the wall. Ding, 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 ding. My heart is fixed. Can you see him? Can you see old David? He's been so afraid. He's been so foolish. But can you see him now? He's on his knees. Tears coming down his face. Can you hear him? Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done. Thank you, Lord, for hearing me. For being gracious to me. For not forsaking me. And he carved on the cave wall. <laughs> oh, I've been up and I've been down. My heart's been broken. But my heart is fixed. I'm fixed. Now I want to ask you this morning. Say, preacher, are you enjoying that? I'm getting some help because I've been there. You ever been there? I ask you this morning. Is your heart fixed? You know, when you come back to Psalm 57, I don't even, I'm not even going to outline it. But David gets it right, and you see it in the psalm. And everything just changes for him. 
And you wonder what happened. Well, in 1 Samuel 22, verse number 1, after he's in the cave, there's a colon. And at that colon, things are starting to happen in David's life in that cave. It says, and when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. And everyone that was in distress, and everyone that was in debt, and everyone that was discontented, gathered themselves unto him. And he became a captain over them. And there were with him about 400 men. Friends, I'm here to tell you this morning, no matter how messed up you may have become, God can fix your heart. God can recover your purpose in your life today. You may be here today so far out of the will of God that you don't even remember what it was like to be there. You long for peace. You long for joy. The joy of salvation again. You want it back. Well, there is a Redeemer. Jesus, God's own Son. I'm going to ask you this morning, will you come to the Lord today?